What is crack-a-lacking, Crusaders? As always, Bryson Pizzamind here, dropping some knowledge bombs on you today. Uh, we are joined by a polymath in the truest sense, Mr. Oz Sultan. I hope everyone is ready for another mind melter, because we're about to cover everything from terrorists to trade wars, and even artificial intelligence. Terrorists, trade wars, and AI, oh my. And guiding us through this rather uncanny episode is uh, Oz Sultan. He spent 20 plus years in tech, He's designed and operationalized fintech projects for the likes of J.P. Morgan and Moody's. He developed social projects for The Economist. He's architected uh, just a few multi-million dollar crypto projects, no big deal. And on top of it all, he's a board member for the whole net. He's a board member for the Homeland Security Foundation of America. He was a member of President Trump's Muslim Council. He was hired personally by Steve Bannon to help with Middle East policy. He's the co-chairman of the Harlem Republican Club. I mean, the list goes on. This guy is a tour de force, and we are honored to have Oz, a vocal crusader of Crypt Nation, come on the show and join us today. Oz, welcome back to Crypto 101, and let's not waste any time. Let's dive straight in. Tell the people, how did you get involved in crypto? Sure. Um, uh, actually, it's, that's kind of interesting. So uh, we stumbled into crypto. So we're doing a big data analysis on uh, a couple of companies that I can't name. And we're going through Instagram hashtags, and we ended up running across ISIS and a bunch of their recruiting. And that led to us also finding out that ISIS was using um, Bitcoin to to human traffic people and a bunch of other things. And so I kind of stumbled into blockchain through that and then working on a social good project, probably I think this is like 2013, 2014, um, where we had actually tried to bring crypto to the masses. But I think, you know, I mean, we, we still have the problem with, with people losing their keys. So there, there was some of the, the thought process there that I think was a little advanced for its time. Um, and, and maybe we'll be ready for adoption probably by 2020. Um, but that that was kind of what got me into crypto. So I published a, a couple of different research papers with the um, Army Cyber Defense Review. The first was kind of taking apart ISIS and the recruitment processes and how they were using crypto. Um, the second I just published about a month and a half ago, and that is going through like a number of risk scenarios that actually even touches on what happened uh, last well within the past couple of days with both of the shooters in Dayton and El Paso. And that's that's talking about like new risk scenarios that we're getting into, um, and this is all big data driven. Um, and on the back of that, um, I've been you know doing a lot of blockchain consulting, which is sort of the day to day of my company. My company focuses on you know blockchain and cybersecurity, all of which has stemmed out of big data. Um, and we also advise uh, a couple of funds, um, you know, Tario, the Tario Digital Asset Fund being uh, the primary one which is making, you know, select investments into, I think, crypto projects that, um, you know, are beyond an MVP and have an opportunity to kind of do, you know, exciting and sometimes world-changing things. Um, MeFi, kind of an example there, you know, they're looking to bring distributed healthcare to, um, what is it, 90,000 villages in India and then potentially Vietnam and a few other places. I mean, places where, you know, if you want to get healthcare, you have to like climb up a hill, go get on a donkey, ride the donkey for about an hour and a half, get to a city, take a train from that city to get to another city where they might not speak the same language you do in India. Um, and in Vietnam and Northern Africa and a couple other places, you know, it's just that, that whole disparity of, of distance, um, which we're trying to solve or they're trying to solve. Um, and then um, 
Yeah, and then above that, um, I'm I've recently just started. Uh, I don't know if you guys had seen the movie Charlie Wilson's War. Okay, so there's a character in that movie that's played by Julia Roberts, and she plays Joanne Herring. So I have been working with the actual woman, Joanne Herring, in Texas as an advisor to her um, her organization. And what they're trying to do is fix the migrant problem um, at the border by doing kind of what was thought about in Syria, which is how do you help the Syrians where they are, except here it's how do you help the, the folks that are you know, being chased out by gangs and cartels in their countries where they actually are. Um, and there's some thought process and some conversations that are starting about, you know, potentially blockchain-based identity. Um, and one of the, one of the companies that we're talking to about that is PackCoin. So that's that's kind of generally what I'm doing. You know, it's it's a, it's a bucket of like blockchain-based consulting with cybersecurity. There's a, a bucket of crypto, and then there's a bucket of philanthropy. Wow. Yeah, I definitely want to dig into all that. Certainly the philanthropic initiatives you've got going on. But really before we dive in uh, there, I mean, I want to get your perspective on the world. Uh, you've got such a unique macro view, very diverse. Uh, you rub elbows with some people in high places. So I want to I want to get your perspective on some things that are unfolding in the world. But I think a good place to start would be with the interest rates that just got cut uh, last week. So is this a stopgap? And just a pause in the quantitative tightening regime, or is it kind of the unfolding of a new trend of you know easier credit, easier money? It's got to continue right now. I mean, we're we're in a position right now because we've got economic growth and an economic surge. We're over three percent growth on a quarter by quarter basis. But the the challenge that you have is that if you cannot keep cheap lending and lending available to largely large corporations. We have to figure out how we're fixing that for small companies. Um, you run the risk of running into stagflation. And then on the flip side of this is we have two trade wars going. Okay, so trade war one is with China. And a lot of people are like, why are we in a trade war? This is stupid. Well, there's four reasons. One is that for the past 40 years, China has stolen our own intellectual property on a consistent basis and utilized that to build technology that they sell back to our to American consumers. And what that does is that impacts American jobs, American innovation and the ability for us to grow our economy. Um, secondarily, they have spun up um, a lot of policies that I think, you know, are they're sort of borderline fascist. Um, if you don't, if you don't want to just say fascist, you know, they have they're taking Muslims and Christians, and they are destroying their churches and mosques. Uh, they are destroying their effigies. They're burning Bibles and Qurans. They're putting Muslims in internment camps. Some of the Christians have ended up in internment camps. Um, which they either rehabilitate them or, you know, they're 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 beaten to death. Um, there's documented uh, cases of organ harvesting coming out of this, and then you know, to the south, <clears throat> you've got everything that's going on in Hong Kong right now, where the Chinese government has said, if you say something or do something that we don't like, we can actively render you. Um, you know, to to some sort of camp, and we don't know what's going to happen to you again. So, very similar to the policies that the Bush government had put in place for terrorists, and it's understandable that you'd want to do that with terrorists. They're doing that with Chinese citizens, and they're doing that with Hong Kongese citizens. Um, and it's it's kind of a scary proposition. 
And you're saying, well, why are they doing this? Uh, well, there's an economic reason for that. Um, China has been in a stagnant growth perspective for probably the better part of the last two years. Last year, 86 major banks in China defaulted, meaning they, they just they closed, they failed. And in a communist state like that, which is very collectivist, the state absorbs a lot of that cost. Now we're at risk for some of the major Chinese banks failing. And so they, they don't know what they can necessarily do. They can't necessarily respond the same way that they would like to respond. They're talking about, you know, not buying um, American grains and, and foodstuffs and the like. But what we're seeing in, in China right now is there's not an uptick in, in electricity utilization. There is a, a subsidy being pushed in for electricity across the country, which means that they're trying to they're trying to, like, kind of keep the lights on for a lot of people where costs are very high. Um, and they have this Belt and Road Initiative, which is, uh, if you're not familiar with this, um, on the one side, the going back 10,000 years, the, the Chinese, uh, one of the Chinese emperors had this big seafaring empire where they used to trade with Africa via boats. Um, what China is trying to do is to bring that piece back in where they have boat trade basically going from China through the Middle East into Africa. And then from the northern part, they would have Marco Polo's route, the, the trade route, sort of the Silk Road, back in place, except this is a Silk Road that might have 16-lane highways looking like, you know, the 405 in L.A. Um, and they want to run this from eastern China all the way to Spain, okay? But what does that run through? That runs through Xinjiang province, which is the homeland of the Uyghur people, which are the Chinese Muslims. So all of that stuff is to, to be kept in, into, in mind. And the fourth portion of this is that China is arming up militarily in ways that we haven't seen since, you know, Tiananmen Square in basically, I think it was 89 or 90. Um, the, the dangers that, that you kind of come into with this is that they have built artificial islands in the South China Sea that, you know, they, they finally had to lose. Um, they're in, in encroaching upon Vietnamese fishing, Australian fishing, they're uh, Singaporean fishing. Um, they're also patrolling uh, waterways and, and interacting or interceding with Japanese boats. Uh, they're interfering in South Korean waters. And we're not necessarily sure of what the relationship or the longer term relationship is between North Korea and China. And that all plays into this very, very complicated geopolitical quagmire. So on, on the one side, you've got everything that I just mentioned that, that feeds into an understanding of why the trade war is existing and why President Trump is so adamant in continuing to push large-scale tariffs because their, their back will break. Okay, The yuan has been devalued, and, and the yuan is one of these interesting currencies that's been pegged for a long period of time since World War II. Um, if they were to allow the yuan to float, you know, they could potentially have a, a crash, but the, the devaluing of the yuan is an indicator that they're starting to capitulate to what these pressures are from the Trump trade war, from the economic tariffs and whatnot. And the last thing to mention is that the Treasury Department yesterday declared um, China a currency manipulator. And so um, there was a guy I met in the green room when I was doing I-24 News yesterday, and his name's Charles Ortel. Um, and everyone here who's listening to your podcast should dig him up because he's one of these guys that's done a ton of research on 
um, you know, where all of the corruption is, and and this is stemming back like decades. Like he he goes back to the GE corruption in in two thousand eight. The latest thing that he's uncovered is stuff that was going on with the Clinton Foundation, and uh, what he calls it is the largest case of unprosecuted crimes that he's ever seen. And and a lot of this is the tit for tat payoffs that we were seeing internationally under the last administration. So I'm, I don't necessarily want to speak to that or open that because it's a Pandora's box conversation of, you know, what ifs. Um, I think that is going to factor into this longer term, because what we're going to see is if there were and there were Chinese payoffs in order for different types of trade easements, um, you know, they're going to be slapped on the hand. But the, the currency manipulation thing dates back to, I think the last time we said something like this was in 1988. And that means that we can start putting a whole bunch of economic, um, not necessarily sanctions, but economic tools in play that are going to make it very, very difficult for them to, you know, continue to operate the way they have. I mean, they still have special trade status, which means that they're treated like a developing world nation in terms of trade. You know, it's like it's like when we talk about trading with Vietnam or when we talk about trading with Sudan, but this is China. This is 1.2 billion people. This is the second largest economy in the world. You know, you start revoking those types of things and their goods get more expensive. And I think that's what they're concerned about. So all of that is yet to be sorted out. But that's kind of maybe a, a better picture of how complicated that scenario is. Um, man, there's so many more questions that uh, we'll have to have after the podcast, but we have to move on to the next topic at the moment. So you've been a trusted behind-the-scenes advisor to some real heavy hitters in the Republican Party recently. What is the future of the conservative movement? It seems like many senators and congressmen are coming out pro-Bitcoin. The current iteration of the blockchain as we know it in, in terms of a, a uh, permissioned or permissionless distributed ledger um, that is irrevocable in terms of the data that you put into it. Uh, has a whole bunch of flavors that's going on right now. And I think that's that's where there's questions and, and quagmires inside of the legislative bodies that we have in the United States today. Um, I think there's a lot of GOP interest in, in this. I think Treasury is interested in this. Um, you know, Mal Pass, who's the undersecretary of the Treasury, who I worked with on, on the Trump campaign, um, he, he, I think, is... is open to you know some of these more international discussions but the the challenge that i think you have here is sort of twofold in the united states we don't just have one regulatory body like if you went down to mexico what you'll find is that mexico actually has a laws or crypto laws that have been put in place that are actually a little bit more affording of um proliferation of crypto it's just they don't necessarily have the business traction that we have in the united states here we're bouncing in between the sec trying to still clean up um, a bunch of really bad crypto projects from the past two years where investors lost money um, the cftc that is looking to figure out how exactly they want to uh, regulate or really allow the the, or the industry to self-regulate we've got finra which is looking at the financial regulations, and then you've got Treasury, right? Uh, and so the Republican perspective has been more, I think, open towards figuring out how can you utilize Bitcoin in a manner and fashion that it becomes a secure currency. Um, but I think the the other side of this coin, and you've seen this in, in the, the narratives that are coming out from some of the legislators, is that they still see it as a black money. So if you don't know this term, black money, is the term that's used to describe like, illegally printed money that was used for black ops or um, 
or typically like you know a- any kind of elite overseas um like the cia but, stuff yeah part part of the cia stuff um and you know part part really just you know rogue financing by rogue nations um with isis for example ISIS and Iran, I'll give you two examples. ISIS is, and it had initially issued their own dinar, which was like gold. I mean, so it was kind of like, it was kind of watching like a, a, a Knight's Tale with uh, Heath Ledger, you know, where like got paid in a gold talent, they like broke it up and gave it to people. Well, what they found was that's not really super tenable and you can't like run around with large pieces of gold. So they shifted to paying people in Bitcoin and, and a few other alt currencies that I won't mention because mentioning that will probably affect their price. Um and that that kind of proliferated on the one side and then the opposite side of this is that human trafficking is paid for in bitcoin so isis was selling yadidi women um for about uh, this is really a gross discussion but they were selling yadidi women for anywhere between eight thousand to thirty thousand dollars in bitcoin and depending on whether they were being sex trafficked or slave trafficked or whatever it was those were the prices that were set, and they were using the dark web for that. Um, on the flip side of this, and, and this is in between ISIS and now the cartels going to South America, um, one of the things that, and this is the biggest problem with the border and why we want to solve this migrant problem uh, of not necessarily allowing people in, but solving it where they are, is because about 70% of those people um, are at risk for being human trafficked and organ harvested. And all of that's paid for in Bitcoin. And then the the last thing I think that our legislators are concerned about is Iran. So Bitcoin's at what right now? Like eleven thousand eight hundred. Last time I checked. That's correct. If it's eleven thousand eight hundred here in Iran, it's thirty thousand, because there's an entire black market by which they're utilizing Bitcoin to pay for things. Okay, um, and those are off market, off chain transactions, typically wallet to wallet. Uh, and that's a huge risk and a huge concern for the United States is, is how, what are these rogue nations doing with cryptocurrency? Now, if these regulatory bodies are able to come to some sort of consensus with the European bodies, if we're able to look at things like GDPR in Europe, and then um, a lot of your listeners might not know about this, but there's a new law in California coming out called CCPA, which is the California Consumer Protection Act, which is very similar to GDPR in some ways, but very different. Um, if they can figure out how to work from the business perspective in between these lines, if they can figure out how to address the terror and the terror financing aspects of this, you're going to see a quicker proliferation and movement towards the legitimization of cryptocurrencies inside of commerce. And one of the biggest reasons for that is what IBM is currently doing. So IBM has partnered with Stellar, um, and they're looking at this in Europe. Um, one of the, the biggest um scams i personally think in banking in the world today is what's called erm bans for overnight lending so i'll use france for an example because france is just a bad actor um but france consistently has to borrow money and pay back money to operate right and so they do these overnight loans and germany which controls the european central bank typically sends the erm bans which is like this band of interest rates that they're going to be charged for borrowing say like a hundred million dollars overnight it's like yeah, i'm borrowing a hundred million dollars we need it for 48 hours because we have to pay for these types of things and then we're going to have this revenue coming in from over here and we're going to pay that back and so germany germany could be like okay well we're you know the the central bank says no the central bank says interest rates are high and, and those types of costs that are, are prevalent inside of large-scale banking that are, I mean, this stuff is, is not something that the regular people even talk about. 
are are things that can be completely just destroyed by blockchain and by these new systems. So think about this. IBM is working with all of the banks and they want to use all of the settlement on Stellar. And right now, um, Paraguay and Venezuela are settling all of their trade um, in Bitcoin. Okay, so if you consider all the Europeans where they're they're getting hit three times, they're getting hit um, on the the interest rates in between interbank exchange. They're getting hit on the differences in currency um, exchange from day to day. And then they're getting hit by additional banking fees. All of that stuff can be kind of reduced because all you're doing is you're utilizing Stellar um, as a, a kind of standard base for the processing and settlement of, of whatever was borrowed in between multiple countries. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. So you're an expert on the Middle East, and, and we want to dive into Iran particularly and the general stance there in regards to Bitcoin and crypto. So they've recently been in the news announcing some state-sponsored incentive programs for cheaper electricity for Bitcoin mining farms, and they're coming out with some favorable regulation there. But I also remember last year or two years ago, Iran was coming out saying that it was against Islam to be supportive of Bitcoin. So what's the real story going on here? Inside of uh, Sharia compliant financing, which actually goes back to an Islamic construct called fiqh, which is jurisprudence, um, there's a a concept that you're not supposed to charge interest in the terms of usury. Uh, And that's why if you look at your credit cards in America, they're all registered in states like, um, I think it's Utah and a couple other ones where they have no usury laws, so they can charge you like 25% on the credit card. but so the, the concept was looked at is that because you have a floating point commodity and it's not a currency and people could be charged differential rates that it could amount to usury. And that's a Shia perspective. OK, so I'm Sunni. Eighty percent of Muslims are Sunni. Saudi Arabia is Sunni. Iran is Shia. And uh, that, so that's that's a, a much smaller group. But but the the fatwas that were put out on that about a year ago said, no, you know, it could be Ursurius. Um, and it was also, I think, more of a strategic move for them because while they were saying all this nonsense, um, the government was utilizing Bitcoin for a number of purchases. And I think this has been documented in, you know, a number of um, cybersecurity and counterterrorism journals out there. Uh, the Long War Journal, I think, is, is one you might want to look at. But um, but to, to what's happened right now, look, they understand that this is one single way by which they can bypass every trade embargo that is put upon them because there's no one stopping you from putting crypto on a stick and giving it to some dude and some dude's now been paid. 
and them spooling up mining, understanding the fact that crypto has an artificially increased price inside of their country means that they can they can utilize this stuff for terror financing. They can use this for um, financing of small armies and, and economic disruption because Iran just recently said that they're all the way to the Israeli border and they're through Iraq. And, you know, a lot of people were arguing with me over this for the past three years. And I said, and they're sending paramilitary groups to destabilize Syria and destabilize Iraq. They are fighting the Kurds. They are fighting uh, Assad. And they're like, oh, no, I don't think Iran's doing that. And I'm like, no, they are. And so now they just said they're doing it. So they're looking to, to push their hegemony in the region. Uh, it's always been a three-way fight. It's been a fight between Saudi and Israel who have actually started normalizing relations. And I think that's a fantastic thing for the Muslim world. But that's been Iran. And, you know, Iran is like that redheaded stepchild of the, the Muslim world that practices the faith a little bit differently, that has always had aims on kind of ruling and regulating and dictating to other people. And no one necessarily wants that. And that's the challenge that you're dealing with from the perspective of them getting into Bitcoin, because now they have an ulterior or I would say just a different method by which they can finance things and by which they can uh, basically pay for things that they may not even been able to buy previously because of embargoes. It's really fascinating hearing all this stuff and thinking, yeah, it's 2019. This is still happening on our planet with our species. It almost sounds like it's from a, a parallel universe or something like that. Yeah, this is this is 1960s 1950s Kissinger policy. Okay, I mean, you know, a, a lot of your, I think, a lot of listeners here uh, span the the range from socialist to crypto anarchist. On the other side, they're capitalists, right? You know, I'm a capitalist. I think you guys are capitalists, um, but we're also social good. We're also B corporation people. We also realize that you know you got to reduce the carbon the the carbon emissions. We realize that you have to clean things up. We realize that you no, know, I want to go fishing and hunting. And I would like to have air to breathe with my grandchildren whenever I decide to go and do that, right? And I think everyone should be looking at that. But, you know, it, it, it gets into this vociferous argument in between the right and the left because the, the, it, and it comes down to, like, everyone who argues Green New Deal, everyone who asks questions about it gets shut down because if you're building a company in crypto, you have to explain what your expenditures are for, right? Well, the problem that you have with, with those types of things is that no one's explaining what they want to spend money for, and you can't just turn on you know, the meter and say, okay, I'm driving the cab to California, but we're going to stop a ton of places along the way because no one will be able to pay for the bill at the end of the day. Right. So at this point, I mean, at least in my personal opinion, humans are not able to govern themselves properly. We've had thousands and thousands of years to try and figure out how to live in harmony. So now we have another new technology that's emerging. Artificial intelligence. How does artificial intelligence and blockchain work together? When can we start to see this really affect our world and how? It's already it's already starting to work together. You know, I mean, a lot of companies out there, uh, <laughs> I think I'd mentioned this in the podcast before, a lot of companies um, don't understand AI and like, they'll bring a company like ours in or they'll, they'll bring, you know, um, IBM or they'll bring, uh, they'll bring, you know, someone like Susan O in um, and, and they'll be like, hi. We would like to do artificial intelligence. We'd like to buy it. And, and they don't understand that the, the, the creation of AI is building intelligent systems across, you know, an understanding of broad bases of the data lakes that exist within their corporation and figuring out what to do with that to build predictive analytics and a variety of other things. And the opposite problem that we have right now is that because all this stuff's in, in its nascency, most, uh, quote, machine learning that you see out there is a bunch of if statements. 
And it's it's kind of like, I mean, a, a freaking high schooler could have programmed this kind of stuff. But you have corporations saying, oh, look at my machine learning. And I'm like, this isn't machine learning. This isn't learning anything. It's just if this doesn't happen, then do this. So the, the, the next big move here is AGI, okay, which is artificial general intelligence. And this is... This is kind of like a step in between your Roomba and Alexa. And what's interesting is like Alexa is building a consortium um, for two sort of really scary things. Um, the first scary thing is that I, I'm personally of the, of the opinion, if you have an Alexa, pack it up, sell it on eBay or throw it out the window because um, that thing records every single thing going on in your house, including your children including your dogs and you by signing the end user license have given them the right to do that and hold all of your audio in perpetuity unless you go onto some page on the Amazon website and say no. Um, and even then there's a good portion of that that they can hold. But, but the AGI allows us to do things like understand between let's say there's 10 million Alexas out there. So the, the general intelligence would say, okay, well, how many of these people are looking to order bread on a Tuesday because our bakeries produce bread typically on a Tuesday and a Thursday. And, and by understanding things like that and how that ties into large-scale supply chains, companies like Amazon who bought Whole Foods could say, oh, well, if they are typically buying, we think that we, you know, historically for 50 years, you know, We've produced bread on Tuesday and Thursday, but we find out that this next generation, which is millennials and Gen Z, are buying bread on Wednesday and Saturday. What we may want to do is we may want to change our, produ our production schedules or our purchasing schedules to make sure that we have fresh bread when they want this bread in order to give them a longer shelf life and, and, and more you know traction in terms of saying like, oh, well, I bought this bread from Amazon and it didn't turn moldy inside of five days. But on the flip side of that, it, it goes from that kind of artificial general intelligence into AI systems. And so, you know, Israel, for example, just said that they wanted to deploy AI systems. And I, and I said that this was a little bit dangerous. Um, they want to deploy AI systems in tanks. So the new tanks that they're developing, this is on, on it's one of my Twitter comments. I, I don't think I retweeted it, but what it literally looks like is, um, it, it looks like the best video game setup that you've ever seen inside of a tank, uh, where you can see it's basically, you know, video cameras showing you what's outside. You don't have to have someone stuck through the hatch and typically a tank takes somewhere between four to six people to operate. What they want to do is they want to cut that down to two people to operate. Um, I personally think from a redundancy perspective of something that's getting shot at, that, that that's a little dangerous, but, you know, their military is looking at it. I mean, it's, I called it the McDonald's of tanks because what you're doing is you're, you're putting interfaces in place to make decisions to help with decisions that are replacing people. But if something bad happens or if there's a rush or something like that, you, you still don't have the human capital to, to solve for that. Um, and, and it goes back to what you were saying. I think it's a governance problem. Like we, we still haven't figured out the the supply chain and the math in between these things. But but what's interesting there is that you would now have a system that is helping guide, helping drive, helping target, and helping fire projectiles, including the complicated math calculations that you have to do with using a tank. So like if you fire a regular rocket, you know, I aim at something and I fire a rocket. If you fire a tank, a, a tank is kind of like a howitzer. So what it's doing is it's using, or you could even think of like a catapult or a trebuchet, right? It's using, uh, it's using math to figure out if I toss this thing in the air, where's it going to land? 
and instead of it going kind of like more of a rounded line, it's going in this giant arc. So it's like I fired up in the air, and I know based upon my mathematical calculations of you know velocity of this coming out of the muscle and everything else that it's going to land in the middle of this town, and it's going to blow up that that terrorist you know cell or whatever. Um, that's where that's where the the future of AI is going, um, and that's one kind of extreme example. But the op the other example, I think, is robotic surgery. Wow. So we just covered a lot of ground. Uh, to recap, we started talking about Bitcoin used for terrorist financing. Uh, we talked about the Department of Homeland Security. We talked about interest rates and the risk of stagflation is why we're cutting them, right? Uh, China, the trade wars, they're arming up militarily. They're devaluing the yuan. The American Treasury just said that they're currency manipulators. We talked about AI, robotic surgery. The list goes on. But I also know you're deeply involved in some philanthropic movements, and I want to get a sense of the work that you're accomplishing there. So, um, number one, I was just named to the board of directors of PacCoin, okay? Um, and this is the first time I'm announcing it publicly on this podcast, and it's because I have such a love for you guys. Um, but it's, it's also the fact that I, I think you have the type of listeners that, you know, people are tired of just making money to buy dumb shit um, and live in a castle, which is what boomers did. Okay, people understand that it's about experiences, it's about culture, it's about getting to know people, it's about doing something better with your life, it's about leaving a legacy if you can. Um, and I think PacCoin can help with a couple of things. It's built um, off of a multi-tenant solution that uses a Dash backend, but what that simply means is that you have now a token that you could build a identity solution, you can build a social giving solution, you could build a simple app solution that you could use with, um, you know, semi-smartphones that are distributed to the homeless, where instead of giving people money to buy alcohol, you can give them money that's only utilizable for either housing, you know, so they don't have to stay on the street, shoes and socks, because I'll tell you, socks is the biggest thing that homeless people ask for, um, or access to education. And you gamify the methodologies by which they go and they find themselves getting back into life, because think about this. There's there's people who are making like $100,000 a year who ended up homeless living in tent cities in San Francisco, okay? And they're living there with their families. What kind of ego jolt do you think these people took, and what do you think it's going to take to get them back into society? That's that's one. Um, locally in Harlem, you know, where I'm a, a Republican district leader, and I'm uh, basically the head of the Harlem GOP. I'm one of the co-chairs. Uh, it's myself in India Kirksley, um, who is uh, black and Latino, and Lisa Presley, who's black. Um, but, you know, the, they're lifelong Harlemites. I'm, I'm the guy who's been here for six years. We, we kind of see the, the opportunity to, to build change and afford change. There's a there's a guy I want to I want to mention here. And this is this is kind of going beyond politics. Um, his Twitter handle is the persistence. His name is Scott. Scott Pressler. So his his uh, his Twitter handle is S-C-O-T-T-P-R-E-S-L-E-R. This is a guy who is he's pushing a political agenda, but he's also going into cities like Baltimore and, and just like bringing a whole bunch of people to clean things up. I mean, you know, de Blasio took away half of our garbage cans in Harlem and has hammered us on transit and on all these things. We we need to if you want to look philanthropically, you could look to PacCoin. You could look at getting involved locally. And I don't care what party you are. You could be a Republican, a Libertarian, a Democrat. You could be a socialist for all I care. But if you actually look at the problems that you have in your community and start acting locally, um, that's a big thing. And then um, I'm about to push an article out. Um, I think it's going to be on Town Hall. 
But one of the things to kind of consider is is this active shooter situation that we have in America. You know, being a member, a board member of the Homeland Security Foundation of America, and that, by the way, is um, HSF. Uh, sorry, it's HSFAmerica.org. If you go take a look, you know, if you, you want an active shooter training in your city and you're willing to pay for with a little bit of travel and uh, helping us with, you know, the facilities, we'll come and we'll do a training. But but one of the things that you should be thinking about is us doing a training is, is you doing a training yourself. Go and get to know your neighbors, okay? In this world of insta-fame, I will tell you that everyone thinks that, you know, they're okay with their, their 990,000 followers, but they don't know their neighbor's name. And they definitely don't know the person down the street. And if they live in New York, I, I can tell you that they don't know everyone on their floor. Okay. And and this is a big problem because in, in a world where, you know, New York is, is called the most connected, loneliest place in the world because you are constantly connected with people, but you could be completely depressed and alone by yourself in your apartment. And nobody knows this. And we used to have it, uh, we used to call these people lone wolves that, you know, went and became active shooters. Well, I'm now calling them the laughing men because the ideologies are now spanning from terrorism, ISIS, Al-Qaeda, to white supremacy, alt-right, to Antifa, or, or what I call left extremists now. And, and they're having dialogues with each other on Discord, on Telegram, on WhatsApp, on Twitter, on Facebook Messenger, on Instagram chat, on Signal, on a variety of other channels. If you can't necessarily start connecting with people, what we're going to end up with is a lot more problems of those laughing men type shooters that become these radicalized people that are becoming radicalized about like an ideology they might not even understand. You know, uh, and we find where you read 15 things, you don't necessarily know something about, you know, what the ideology even is. And the ideology could be a cult like ISIS, but you go out there and you start attacking people. That's that's the future danger that, that you should think about philanthropically on, uh, by yourself. I mean, this is something you do just by getting to know people and being friendly. Uh, you, you know, I think the number neighbor thing on Twitter was kind of stupid, but it was also kind of a cute thing in, in terms of, you know, getting to know people. Yeah, I think that very, very well said. And, um, you know, hopefully after this next bull run finishes and there is a lot of new wealth put in the hands of our listeners, um, they will think of how they can use it to make the world a better place. So as we wrap up here, we've only got a couple minutes left. What are some people that you admire in the crypto space that you would recommend that uh, our crypto crusaders check out? So first of all, I, I think that we need more women in tech. And I, I've always been a big advocate of this. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to name Susan O. Susan is probably one of the smartest women I know in big data. She's originally Canadian. She's in the U.S. a lot. Um, she's a fantastic human being. Uh, if you have an opportunity to get to tell her, uh, she's a big data person. She's fantastic. Um, Madame Crypto, Foo Styles. Um, this woman uh, is going around the world. She just spoke in... Uh, in Africa, um, and is you know trying to figure out how you stitch stuff together. She's you can't miss her. She's usually got blue or purple or green hair, and uh, it's a really interesting style. And she's Asian, um, and she also administers the Women in Blockchain uh, Telegram group. Uh, if you are new to crypto, uh, I would definitely suggest hopping into that. Um, crypto finally, uh, she's from. Uh, Brooklyn originally, and she gave up her apartment to live in a suitcase and travel conference to conference to become a, a crypto evangelist. And and I'm I think she's freaking awesome. Um, you've got the Litecoin guys. You know these these are guys that are are out there. They've got a ton of passion. Things John Kim. Uh, 
yeah john kim is john kim is a fucking dude like i don't even know any other way to put it like he's just cool and he's super accessible and he's like he's a little very like he's like that brash you know sort of like asian big brother but like once you get to know him he's a really cool guy and i think what he's doing in terms of proliferation of getting crypto into purchasing solutions is is really awesome christina bruhan from coin genius uh, if you want to talk about a woman who is working on the bleeding edge of fintech and crypto trading, um, I mean, uh, she's phenomenal. Uh, she's working with some really, really interesting technologies. But full disclosure, I mean, there's there's a, a project that we might be collaborating on, um, but she's uh, she's really super cool. Gordon uh, Gordon Einstein, if you want to talk to someone who is kind of a leader in sort of uh, um, crypto thought um in terms of you know where things are going from a legal perspective uh cindy mallory um if you want to talk to someone who's doing ar vr in crypto you know the cool takeaway from this oz is you're one of the smartest people that we've ever gotten to speak to and that includes nasa engineers uh, former government officials cto for the white house even and a lot of people are afraid to you know mention others and uh, worry about what other things, but you give so much respect right back to all these other peers, you know, while some people struggle to even name one person. And I think that's a, a really cool thing. Like you didn't even have to stop and think about it. There's just a lot of love that you have for pretty much everyone. I, I just, oh, 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 and then Tim, I'm just going to, I'm going to throw Tim Lewis out there, um, you know, because Tim's, Tim's kind of crazy and awesome, but he's, he's trying to change some things inside of the space. The Shipple folks are doing some really cool stuff in terms of just trying to get anyone who's afraid of crypto into crypto. Well, Oz, that was a great episode. Thank you so much for your time. I mean, we covered a whole lot of ground. Uh, if anybody wants to keep tabs on Oz, he's very active on Twitter. Uh, he's got a lot on his mind. He's got a lot to say, and that's at Oz Sultan. Oz, thanks again. Guys, thank you for having me. This is awesome. And thank you to all of your listeners. And just as a reminder to all you crusaders out there of Crypt Nation, if you have not yet followed us on Twitter, go ahead and do so. It's at Crypto101Pod. And join our Facebook community. Just search Crypto101 and we'll be right there. Peace. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. 
I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.